You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, this is super fun. My guest today on Walk It Out is Natalie Chambers Snaps. She is the author, blogger, speaker, known for her refreshing authenticity and practical approach to life in God's word. And this, we're going to be talking about her new book, which is Bathsheba Battle. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Yeah. Let's just begin by um, telling my listeners just a little bit about yourself. Well, I live in the Midwest in Indiana, to be exact, with my husband, who we've been married for, I think we're going on 16 years this summer. Uh, We have three children. I have a teenage girl who is 15, and I have a son who's about to turn 13, and then another son right on his heels that will be 12 this summer. So we have a very busy, loud, full-of-life house at all times. Um, We have. I'm also a, a... mom to fur babies. I've got one yellow (laughs) lab and we just got a new Rottweiler puppy. So I've got a puppy in the house. So if everyone could pray for me, that'd be great. Um, But we just have a very full, vibrant home and and I'm very, very thankful for it given what I've walked through in the past. So even though there are hectic days, I most certainly am very grateful for what I have there. And as far as professionally, I love to write. Uh, Bathsheba Battle is my third book released from Abingdon Press. And I'm also currently getting my master's degree in mental health counseling through Liberty University at the moment. That is so cool. I didn't know about your master's degree. I think I knew about everything else, but that is awesome about your master's degree. Great job. Yes. It's been a very interesting journey. Uh, You can definitely see God's hand in all of it, which is true for so many of us. So it's been an, an interesting road for sure. Now, Natalie, do you remember the first time we met? Because I remember. I was. I do. Yeah. I, do. I was wondering if you remember that too when you were in West Lafayette, which is where I live, and you were speaking um, on behalf of Matrix Crisis Pregnancy Center. It was wonderful. Yeah, and it's such a great organization. We still support it. Um, so I love, you know, that we met that way. And I was up there with my friend Kara Putman, um, who's an awesome author and a friend of mine. I just I remember at that time you came and introduced yourself to me, and that was super fun. Yes, yeah. That, that's why it was fun to realize that I was getting a chance to chat with you again. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so let's talk about the Bathsheba battle. And I have to say, I'm so glad that you wrote this book. And especially from this perspective, my husband and I don't fight very much, but we actually got in a fight, not a real fight, but over Bathsheba before. Yeah, it's a um, topic. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were doing, we do children's ministry and we act out, um, you know, the Bible every week. So we're in front of the kids and we go from you know, Genesis. Well, we don't really touch Revelation. That would kind of be freaky <laughs> for the kids. But I remember the story of Bathsheba and, you know, just the conversation, like she comes out here saucy and I'm like, uh, no, like 
it doesn't say anywhere in God's word that she was, you know, trying to get his attention. And um, like we yeah. ended up like on the way to church, had this debate. And I'm like, <laughs> I will play Bathsheba and I'm not going to act like that. <laughs> like, we yeah. had this like serious topic. But I think, um, I think for those, I mean, even those who've grown up in church their whole life, we definitely have an idea of, the opinion of Bathsheba that she was just like trying to seduce David and all oh, these sure. things. Yeah. So I would just yeah. love to hear for, for those maybe who listen that don't know the story, tell us a little bit about it and then just your take on it. Absolutely. I love to talk about Bathsheba because I felt very drawn to her story. Um, from the first time that I was exposed to it, I didn't become a believer till I was about 27 years old, but from that point until currently now, um, I just kind of had a quickening spirit with that. I just wanted to read and learn so much and kind of make up for some lost time. And I did a study, uh, with Beth Moore, Priscilla Shire, and, um, there was someone else on that study too. I can't remember. It was on the life of David. And I remember reading about Bathsheba in that study and just feeling like there was something off there. Um, something didn't click right with me. And she is always portrayed as this adulteress, um, kind of with the scarlet A on her chest. Um, and as I started to really investigate her story a little bit more and do my own research and read lots of research from theologians, I found that that wasn't really the case of, um, of the story. So for those who are not familiar with it, um, King David, of course, was the king at the time. And Bathsheba was the woman he had an affair with. And the way this all went down is that King David was standing up on his rooftop, his palace rooftop, which was customary back then for kings to have a, a nice um, garden at the top of their palace where they could kind of stroll through. And that's exactly what he was doing. But what happens in, in when Bathsheba is often described is she's described as this seductress that was purposely outside bathing to try to get his attention. When in actuality, we don't have any evidence that that's the case. When we look at the scriptures, it says that she was cleansing, doing a ritual cleansing after menstruation, which was customary for women at this time. So it, and everyone always believes that Bathsheba was up on a rooftop too. Again, nowhere does it say that. But we do know historically what often happened was that there was a, a basin in a courtyard that was oftentimes, you know, had a fence area and some, some foliage around for privacy. It wasn't unusual, though, to maybe catch a glimpse of a naked woman bathing because that's customary because they didn't have indoor plumbing at the time, of course. So if they wanted to take a bath, they had to take a bath in the courtyard where their basin was located. And that's exactly what was going on. So what happened was, is that King David sees Bathsheba and she was a very beautiful woman. Now, from the very beginning, we know that... Um, King David was not where he was supposed to be. His men were off fighting a battle. And at the time, it was customary for the king to be fighting alongside his men. So right away, King David was not where he was supposed to be, which is often the case of where sin starts, because uh -huh. sin oftentimes comes up when we are somewhere we are not supposed to be. So there's step one. So King David sees this beautiful woman bathing, and he thinks, I'd like to know who this is. So he sends a messenger to inquire about her identity. Now, this is where it gets kind of murky because a lot of theologians believe that King David knew good and well who she was because 
She was married to Uriah, who was like his top warrior in the war at the moment, like kind of like a main general. Yeah, he was was one of his his, uh, uh, mighty men. Yes, absolutely. He was kind of like his right-hand man. So I think it's strange that he wouldn't know who she was, um, obviously. Uh, And also, when you look at the life of Bathsheba, both her father and her grandfather were advisors to King David. So a lot of theologians believe he really did know who she was. And he Mm -hmm. was just taking the moment to make his move because her husband wasn't there. And so he then sent the messenger back and summoned Bathsheba to the palace. And back then, when you were summoned by the king to the palace, you had to go, particularly if you were a woman. Uh, we've come a long way in our, with our rights as women since then, of course, but back then there were not a whole lot, um, particularly if it's the king. So she didn't really have an option to say, you know, no, I'm not going to go. So she went to the palace to meet with King David. And a lot of theologians believe that he actually sexually assaulted her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't say this in scripture, but we can kind of piece that together. And I want to pause right here and just also say, you know, King David, when we look at him through this lens, does not sound like a great person. But I think we also have to remember that even great leaders, even great people will fall because they're people. So right. this is most certainly not one of King David's most shining moments. Uh but he was still a man after God's own heart. And we'll see kind of how he was transformed through this process. So he sends Bathsheba back home. And soon after Bathsheba realizes that she's pregnant and it's clearly David's child because her husband's away at war. And this is the moment when things begin to click for King David. He realizes the magnitude of the sin he committed because obviously again, he would have to be the father. So he decides to take matters into his own hands and try to take care of this situation so that it'll just quietly go away. So he summons Uriah back from battle and he tries to feed him this big feast and he gives him a lot of wine and he tries to convince Uriah to go back home and sleep with his wife. But what he didn't consider was the fact that Uriah was a man of integrity and refused to go visit his wife and have sex with his wife when his men were fighting in a war. So instead he chose to sleep where the servants slept and he did that not one night, but two nights. So King David tried two nights, didn't work. And at this point he thinks, okay, now what? So his answer is to send Uriah to the front line, which of course, a battle, which of course, if you send someone to the front line of battle, they're probably not going to make it, which is exactly what happened. So in essence, he had Uriah murdered because he didn't have to face the music. Yeah. And you see it, this is like one thing, keep growing and growing and growing. Yep. Exactly. And that's, and I know the way Beth Moore described this in her study when I did this was that it just takes you down a spiral that just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's exactly what happened to David. So now we have Bathsheba who uh, has been sexually assaulted. Most likely she is now pregnant and she has lost her husband through no choice of her own, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing that happens in this story is that after a proper period of grieving, Bathsheba marries King David. So now she's marrying the man who caused all of this anguish in her life. And what happens next is Nathan, who was an advisor to King David, a prophet, um, 
approached King David and kind of pointed out what he had done through a story, a parable. And King David realized what he had done and then fell to his knees and was very humble and seeking forgiveness from God, which is great because that's what we always want. That's how we always want to respond when we are um, addressed with our own sin. That's when God can forgive and and mold us. and, And that's exactly what happened. But unfortunately, there's always going to be consequences to your sin. And, you know, this is a hard thing. I talk about this with my kids, you know, as their parent, I'm not going to be a very good parent if I don't discipline them for choices they make that are not in alignment with what is okay. And it's hard and I don't want to do it. The last thing I want to do is punish my children. But there has to be a consequence so that they will learn from that. And God being the good father that he is bestowed a consequence on King David. And the consequence was that they would not, that this child that they had conceived would not live. And so now after a week after this child had been born, he was taken from them. And now we see Bathsheba who's grieving the loss of her Mm -hmm. husband, her child, her first child, forced to marry the man who sexually assaulted her and caused all this. And here she is. And that story sounds really just not filled with a lot of hope and love. But the good news is, is it doesn't stop there. Right. And so if you know the character of God, God is always working for our goodness and will bring ashes, will bring beauty from ashes. And that's exactly what happened here because next Bathsheba and David conceive Solomon And Solomon was, of course, the heir to David and a very wise, not perfect, but very wise and revered king. And many believe that, well, I I need to probably back up and say, we learn a lot about Bathsheba's character when we look at what happened later, because the Bible goes really silent um, on Bathsheba from Second Samuel 11 to until first Kings one, we don't hear from her for a long time. So we're left kind of piecing together some, some puzzle pieces. But what I love most about her story and what really drew me to retell it in a different way is when we see her again in first Kings one. And what happens there is King David at this point is on his deathbed and Adonijah is another son of his who is threatening to usurp the throne from Solomon. Solomon was supposed to be the heir. We don't see that scripturally where that is promised, but it was implied that at some point Solomon was promised to be the next heir to the throne. And Bathsheba knew this, but here's Adonijah who also knew that Solomon was supposed to be the rightful heir, gaining followers and, and attempting to take the throne. So Nathan comes back in again and he goes to Bathsheba and he says, listen, you know, you need to probably do something about this because it's very likely that if Adonijah really does take over, he's probably going to have the two of you killed so that you won't take the throne at some point in the future. So we see Bathsheba now, not as a victim, but as Mm -hmm. a strong woman who then considers how to best approach her husband. And I say that because at the time it was not customary for anyone to approach the king on his deathbed unless given special permission, even his wife. So she 
mustered up all of this courage. She considered how to best communicate with him so that he would understand. And she went in to speak to David and explained what was going on. And at this point, then David made things right and established yeah. that Solomon was supposed to be the heir to the throne and probably saved their lives and, and not probably did. And then David, or I'm sorry, Solomon went on to write uh, all of the Proverbs and, and many believe, and this is what I love too, that Bathsheba actually wrote Proverbs 31 as mm-hmm. a letter to Solomon. And there's no definitive proof of that, but many do believe that she actually wrote that. And so if we think about what happened between with Bathsheba between 2 Samuel 11 and 1 Kings 1, because we see a very different woman emerging on David's deathbed. And that's where we kind of fill in the blanks and, and kind of make some conjectures on her healing. Yeah, and I love how you talk about she grew in wisdom and courage even in the midst of her circumstances. Absolutely. Um, after all that she's gone through, we do see this wise woman with courage that's going to stand up for what is right and what um, she knows you know, her son was promised and that she takes those steps of faith. Um, but, you know, and I love her story and I love, you know, she's in the lineage of Christ, which I'm going to talk about yes, that yes, too. But yes. um, I would just love, I mean, you, you gave us this whole story, but I think each of us say, well, you know, that is some pretty big issues that she's gone through. I haven't faced anything like that, but the pain is still hard. Like even with the steps, I would just love to hear kind of even some of the disappointments in your life that drew you to Bathsheba and then what her story did to just, you know, remind us that all of us can find healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mentioned earlier that I didn't become a believer till I was 27 and part of the the catalyst, a big part of the the catalyst of me uh, really investigating who God truly is and and establishing a relationship with him and accepting Jesus was uh, in my first marriage, I was married to uh, a man who developed a a severe drug addiction. Mm. And uh, anyone who has been involved with someone with addiction issues know that there's oftentimes other issues that come with addiction that are not so great for marriage. And uh, my first husband had several affairs. And uh, by the time I found all of this out, he wasn't willing to stop using drugs. So I was left with no choice. Um, I couldn't continue living in that lifestyle. And if he was not willing to stop, then I needed to file for divorce. So at the age of 27, I found myself going through divorce. And about a month after all of this started, uh, my father, who was a very, very severe alcoholic for pretty much um, most of my life, except for the last six years of his, um, he my parents divorced when I was six years old, um, and he came in and out of my life for most of my life until he was sober. Uh, there was a period of time when I was in college where we didn't know where he was, and he was found living on the streets of downtown Indianapolis uh, for two years. And he ended up at a homeless mission, Wheeler uh, Mission downtown, uh, Christian men's mission, and transformed his life through that. Um, but at the time, um, about a month after I had um, filed divorce for divorce, uh, my father started to have really serious health issues unexpectedly. Um, and oftentimes what happens with addicts is that they trade one addiction for another. So what happened is my father had quit drinking, but he increased smoking. Mm-hmm. So he had been smoking an 
obscene amount each day, pretty much. And I knew it would catch up with him at some point. At the time I was teaching elementary school, my principal came down and told me that he had collapsed um, and had been taken to the hospital and was not expected to make it. So I got to the hospital and at the time um, where he was in a small town, Lebanon, Indiana, he was being kept alive by a a respiratory therapist who was literally um, squeezing air into his lungs through like a balloon type of thing. I'm not sure what it's called. Uh, They transferred him to a a hospital that could better care for him. and, And we didn't think he would make it, but he actually did. He was put on oxygen. And we thought that, you know, he would just have to make some changes. However, about six weeks later, uh, he did collapse and he did not pull through. And so my father passed away. Uh, This was June of 2001. And so here I am, 27 years old and um, going through a divorce. My husband had several affairs and was using drugs without my knowledge. Most of our money was gone. Uh, we were very much in debt because he was charging things that I didn't know about. My name was on them. And then my father, who, you know, that's complicated relationship, um, had unexpectedly passed away. And I was pretty much at my wits end at that point. I was pretty low. Um, and so what ended up happening is this, this, I could only describe as God because I had started running. And let me just tell you that I've never been a runner in my entire life. Um, but this just came to me that I wanted to, uh, run the Indianapolis mini marathon, 13.1 mile, uh, right. Not race, but run. Right. So, uh, I started training And I joined a a class that met at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. And so I would go for my running class. And even though I had been raised in the church, uh, we, I wouldn't say our attendance was necessarily consistent. I'd been raised Methodist. We went to church oftentimes on holidays and just kind of whenever we felt like it, but I had never heard of the gospel or, or if someone said to me gospel, I thought music, I didn't know what that meant. Right. So I'm meeting at this church, going to my running class, and I'm just at the lowest low of my life. And I would walk by this beautiful sanctuary every time I was going to my class and leaving and see this cross that was just gorgeous. And it made me just kind of start to wonder where God was in all of that. Um, And I think many of us can identify with that feeling when we look around, and I, I know Bathsheba can, could, uh, when we look around our lives and we see all these pieces everywhere, where is God in that? And so mm-hmm. I started meeting with uh, a woman who worked for an organization called Priority Associates. And that's basically um, Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, it's an organization that they have for uh, working professionals that are out of college. And I met her through a mutual friend. Her name is Marcy. And, you know, for the first time, I felt like I was able to sit down with someone and ask some hard questions and not have their feathers be ruffled. Um, Because of where I was, I did have some tough questions. For example, where is God in all of this? Where is God in the midst of our suffering? And why is he doing this to me? I didn't understand at the time that he wasn't doing this to me, but I thought he was. So of course there was a little bit of anger I needed to shake out. And Marcy was very, very good and patient through all of that. And I just began to grow spiritually by meeting with Marcy and I would go on these runs and just really pray during my runs. Uh, my aunt has always been a very strong believer and influence in my life had sent me, um, Michael W. Smith's worship CD. And this is so funny. Um, 
it's hard for the younger generations to understand this. When I tell my kids this, they die with hysterical laughter. So we used to run an exercise with CD players on our arms. Do you remember that, Trisha? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the yeah. disc man that was out? Right. I can't believe now that we really did that, but we did. And so I remember going out for a run with my disc man on my arm, literally a CD player on my arm. And I, the nearest CD was this Michael W. Smith CD that had been sitting on my kitchen counter for a long time. I kind of blew it off, I hate to say, but I grabbed it, put it in for one of my longer runs, and that's what I listened to for the next hour and a half. And those songs to this day will still bring me to tears because I remember that time of my life. So all of these factors working together led me to accepting Jesus in my life. And, uh, it's just been a, a journey of course, ever since. Um, but I could identify with Bathsheba because of my own suffering that I've been through. Um, and I think that when we really investigate and learn more about her life, a lot of women can relate to Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of times when I had speaking engagements, uh, my first book was heart sisters. And, and there's a part about it where I talk about the super seven sisters, where I just kind of talk about um, some women of the Bible and their personality types and, and maybe some different friends you may have that are similar to them. So I would always talk about Bathsheba friends and Bathsheba friends are people who've been through hard things, but have gleaned great wisdom and courage and, and they're inspiring because they've been through these hard things. And I had so many women come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, I'm a, I would call him a Bathsheba babe. I'm a Bathsheba babe too. So it really got me thinking that maybe we needed to have a book that kind of set the record straight on the true story of what, what really happened to her. Yeah. And I love how you talk about in the book that, you know, your deconstruction led to your reconstruction. And I think, you know, whether it is the point where we come to Christ or even when we're in our Christian walk, when we feel like everything's falling apart, this is not Mm -hmm. how I plan things. This is not what I expected to do. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not where I wanted to be. You know, all of a sudden, Bathsheba wakes up and she's like in the castle. Like she probably had a completely different life plan for her with Uriah. Um, And I think all of us get to the point where this is not how things were supposed to work, but that yet God is able to use that in our reconstruction. So I just love to hear, like, how is God able to kind of take our brokenness and and pull it back together? Well, I think as we see in Bathsheba's story, you know, he doesn't end with the last pregnancy or the last child, right? Right. Um, Because he is a merciful and loving and just God. He is not going to leave Bathsheba there. And same in my situation, my life is far from perfect, but I will tell you that, um, three years after I was divorced and my life was rocked to the core, uh, I married, I remarried and I have been married now for 16 years to a really awesome guy who makes me laugh every day. Uh, we certainly do not have a perfect marriage. I will not portray it that way. Um, but we keep showing up every day and we have three beautiful children, as I've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look at them every day and I get a little weepy when I talk about this. So they are proof of God's mercy in my own life. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Goodness. Um, Because I think that that is proof that God loves us and that he will um, bring Beauty from Ashes, which Isaiah 61 carried me through that time. And I think that so many women need to hear that message um, because we can so easily believe that when we're in the midst of our suffering and our pain, 
it's not going to get better. Right. But he loves right. us too much to keep us there. And well, that was think, experience. Yeah. And then we talked about uh, Bathsheba's in the lineage of Christ. And, yes. you know, it even talks about her, uh, it says Uriah's wife. I mean, it says yes. Uriah's wife is in the lineage of Christ. But God chose over and over again, broken, hurting women to be in the lineage. Like yes. none of them are perfect. None of them have perfect stories. Yes. All of them come from, you know, Rahab and um, yes. Ruth. I mean, this is, these are broken people. And I think God's just saying like, I will use you. I have good plans for you. And I love also how you talk in the book. Like we, it's so easy to get stuck in just seeing our circumstances, but you know, kind of lifting our eyes and looking at him in light of eternity that God does have a beautiful plan. Without a doubt. And it, and I think it's so interesting, too, when we look at the lineage, and, and I talk about that in the book, too. I forgot to mention it earlier, because I think that's really a powerful part of her story. She's mm-hmm. only one of five women mentioned in the lineage. Right. So that's pretty powerful, too. Yeah. Because the rest are men. And then, so, you know, her, and we know her story and we know that God worked through her and used her. And, um, you know, like you mentioned before, we don't even know the impact that she had in Solomon, but obviously she was involved. (laughs) He was the wisest man that ever lived. And I think, you know, something of her journey probably influenced him too. Absolutely. You can kind of tell that, I mean, you can surmise that they were close because she fought for him. Mm -hmm. And I know that she, he was her son. So I get that, but you know, there is, there are parts that, that said that she was at his right hand. Um, and so it seemed that they, the two of them conferred quite a bit. So, you know, they had a close, I think they probably had a close relationship. Right. And I think so many times, you know, when we talk about um, brokenness and guilt and shame, we often, often think of ourselves. And I know I have made mistakes. Um, there's things I wish I could go back and change, but also, us and our kids and everyone, we have to deal with the consequences from other people that we have no choice over. And that is Bathsheba too. Um, And then you talk about forgiveness in your book. And I think this is so important. Um, It's critical. It's critical. And yes, because we can see she had to have forgiven King David at some point to be able to go to him and have the courage Mm -hmm. to speak to him. So this is kind of where we're filling in that gap between Second Samuel 11 and first Kings one, something had to happen in that healing journey. And I believe it is forgiveness because that needs to be a pretty critical step in your healing journey. Uh, because if you choose not to forgive, then the byproducts of that are always bitterness, anger, and resentment. And right. I understand that it's not quite so easy to just say, I forgive the person who hurt me. I understand that forgiveness is a process and I don't think we should ever force someone to forgive before they've worked through that process. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, we're quick to say, well, you should forget. We know we should forgive. It is a process though. And we see that Bathsheba has gone through that process because what happened is oftentimes if you choose not to forgive, you become a victim of your circumstances rather than a survivor. Mm-hmm. And it is clear to me in First Kings 1 that Bathsheba is a survivor. Absolutely. And I think so many times when they think of forgiveness, um, that it's saying that what the other person did is okay. Or, you know, oh, it's right. like, yes. and it's not. It is saying no. that this is not right. And um, I love... Um, how if you look up the word forgive, it's the same as give, you're giving it to God. Like, God, yeah. I'm putting this in your hands and you are going to deal with this person. I trust that, you know, God is a God of justice. Um, and we saw that David did face consequences. Unfortunately, 
Bathsheba also had to face those yes. consequences, but we are giving it to God for him to take care of. Um, and, you know, so many times I think we think of God as just the loving God and, mm-hmm. but no, you know, he wants justice done. And I think, you know, it's not just saying it's okay. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, just try to get over the hurt, but we're giving it to God to deal with and we're placing it in his hands. And when we do forgive, when we're willing to, you know, to place it in God's hands, then we find healing there. Um, Absolutely. And we can trust that he is good. You know, I think that is, that's why I get so emotional when I talk about my own story, because what happens when God redeems through us is we learn to trust him. Mm-hmm. And so we see with Bathsheba, he redeemed her suffering by gifting her with Solomon. And she had the honor of being the mother of this wise king, which back then, I mean, it's powerful now, but back then, the mother who bore these children were very revered, particularly the the mother of a king. So it's that redemption process, and we see God working for our good after our suffering that builds that trust. And for me, that was the, the most critical component of my faith journey to see that he would redeem my suffering with goodness and I could trust him to do the same in the future. Right. And I think that helps us. I'm, you know, when I look back at, you know, I was, had an abortion when I was 15, which is something I really regret. Teen mom at 17. And I dared mm-hmm. to say, God, do something with my life. Like anytime I feel like there's struggles now or challenges, I, re- I remember, like I recount what he did in my life then and know like this Absolutely. is a really hard place, but I know you're going to show up. I know you can bring good out of this. And like looking back to those moments and, and then when you became emotional, I mean, that's me too. When I look back and see what God has done, like just continuing to thank him for that and to remember mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just helps us to get through the current situations no matter hard, how hard they are. Absolutely. And you know, ab- abortion is part of my story as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reason why I look at my children and feel such gratitude for that redemption. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he will just, he will pick up the pieces. He, he doesn't cause the suffering. This is a fallen world, but he will pick up the pieces and he will, I, I keep saying it, he will make beauty for ashes every time. And it may not look exactly how we had planned, but he will. Yeah. And I think even with David, I mean, he definitely made a lot of mistakes here. Yes. Yes. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, he, he was called a man after God's own heart. Yes. And how God was able to see his heart. And I think with us too, you know, we mess up big time. We have made horrible mistakes, but God can see our heart that we we love him and we're trying. And I think that just means so much to, to God. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And and he will use anyone, right? I mean, that's the thing is, I think a lot of times we think that we have to have certain qualifications and we have to be a certain type of person for God to use us. No, he'll use anyone. And I think mm-hmm. David is, is reassurance of that and many others in the Bible, but, but we really see that David was human, but yet he did love God and he sought God. And I love that David responds with humility because that's a critical component to, to healing is being able to be humble and shaped and molded by God and recognizing what we have done wrong and then turning away and learning from that. It's all part of that process too. 
Right. Another thing, um, before we wrap up, you talk about the difference between guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So just talk a little bit about that because I think this is so important. I don't want to end our conversation before we talk about that because I, I know someone out there probably is burdened with shame. Yeah. Oh, you know, shame is an epidemic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, shame shows up in a lot, a lot of different ways. But here's kind of a way to, to discern the difference between guilt and shame. You know, guilt is often given a bum rap, but I think a lot of times people confuse guilt with shame. And guilt is kind of that um, catch in your spirit that maybe indicates that you need to circle back and make something right that you had wronged in the past. Um, So maybe just something that helps you initiate a hard conversation or, or, you know, maybe I should have done this differently type of thing. Whereas guilt will tell you that I did something wrong but I'm not a bad person. I just did something wrong. Shame will tell you, you did something wrong and therefore you are a bad person. So shame kind of makes us root our identity more in shame and which is a lie. And I believe that sometimes that guilt can come from God. It's that um, catching the spirit to do the right thing. Whereas shame is never from God because God tells us that no matter what you do, I still love you. It's just like the father and, and my and with my own kids. I'm still going to love you no matter what you do, but I want you to make it right. I want you to, to make things right if you feel guilty, if you need to, but you're not a bad person. Right. But shame will tell us those lies. And I, I firmly know that shame is not from God and it is completely from the enemy. But unfortunately, a lot of people define themselves by their mistakes and their sins and that is shame. And so the first step of recovering from shame is identifying that you are living under the umbrella of shame. And then the second step is working your way out of that umbrella because shame is so, so very destructive. Yeah. And you know, even with um, the kids that we've adopted, the one who's a teenager that we've had the biggest struggle with, um, you know, we just talked to her therapist. She's like, she lives under this umbrella of shame. And so Mm -hmm. no matter how you try to correct her or encourage her, she has taken it in her core from all the trauma that's happened to her, that I am a bad person, not that bad things have happened to me, that Mm -hmm. I am a bad person and trying to, to find healing from that is hard and it only comes from God. And I think it's so important if there's those lies um, that are coming to your mind that says you are bad, you are not worthy, things can never change. Um, you know, Bathsheba could have lived under that, but instead she came out wise and with courage and just knowing who we are in God, that he is beautiful, that, that we are beautiful, that he has good plans for us. Um, I mean, it's hard coming out of that, that shame based thinking, but God does have good plans for each one of us and he wants um, us to change. So if you feel that, I mean, I encourage you for sure to pick up Bathsheba battle. I think this book would be really helpful and just go to God in prayer and ask him to bring healing to those parts of your heart. Um, Cause I know that has made a big difference in my life. And I know and Natalie you're mm-hmm. in your life and Absolutely. God just redeem it and just bring healing to all those broken places. Absolutely. And, and again, we see that that's exactly what happened with Bathsheba. Um, 
we can just put together that God really worked on her heart and she allowed it to happen mm-hmm. and did emerge as that survivor. But I also think it's so important to open your heart to God. But then also, if you do struggle with shame, do exactly what you're doing. Go see someone that can help you mm-hmm. talk through and untangle some of that. Because what has to happen is we have to change those neural pathways in our brain. And that's just those paths, those those lies that we've chosen to believe about ourselves that have to be changed. And sometimes we just need a little extra help with that. So I oh, would absolutely. anyone who struggles with shame to please, please do yourself the best favor and find ways to get out from under that through God and meditating on scripture and then also finding someone that can help you talk through that. Absolutely. Oh, such good. Well, Natalie, I have just enjoyed um, talking to you. Thank you for writing this book, Sheba. Thank you for being a voice for women out there. Great to talk to you too, Trisha. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. You've had so many wonderful guests, so I'm honored. But it's fun to talk with you again today and and just share a little bit about Bathsheba and setting the record straight. (laughs) I love that. Well, tell um, listeners where they can go if they just want more information about you and your book. Well, I have a blog, nataliesnap.com. That's with two P's, just like snap your fingers. And I also have a Facebook community. Um, if you're on Facebook, facebook.com backslash, back, back, wait, with backslash, <laughs> sorry, I had a brain aneurysm there, backslash author Natalie Snap. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, uh, Natalie Snap, and Instagram is Natalie C. Snap. So, but the most active places would be probably my blog and, and my Facebook page. I love it. Well, thank you. I'm so thankful for Natalie today and sharing her heart. And, um, you know, sometimes when we speak, it is the emotions come over us. And that really shows that what we're sharing comes from deep places in us. And I'm thankful for Natalie that she's able to open up and share those deep places. Um, Again, the book is The Bathsheba Battle, Finding Hope When Life Takes an Unexpected uh, Turn. And we're going to have all the links in the show notes. Um, But both Natalie and I talked today about, you know, finding healing from abortion. And maybe that's your story too. I know one in four women, that's our story. Sometimes it's the hardest story to um, share. And if you need hope, need healing. I know there's a lot of Bible studies or groups. There might be one in your area, but I also highly recommend um, the Bible study Forgiven and Set Free by Linda Cochran. It's one that I went through, and again, we'll put the link in the show notes, um, but it has brought so much healing in my life, whether pain comes from the choices we make or the choices that others make, we need to find healing. And I hope that resource and others resources like Natalie's book can just help you find the healing that you want. Um, Because this world is a hard, hard place. There's so much that we have to go through. In fact, that's what the walk it out verse is for today. John 16, 33. Um, And this is from the words of Christ that says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I think that is the thing that can help us when we lift our eyes, when we look to Jesus, when we think of him in light of eternity, that he has overcome the world. Now, this is the same verse in the Amplified Version. 
John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me, you will have perfect peace. In the world, you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world, Christ says. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. And I know when I am feeling like life is just hitting me so hard, which the last few months, it has felt like that a lot. And um, I can just lift my eyes and remember that Jesus has won. His conquest is accomplished. His victory is abiding. And I can just praise Him in that, that even though in the world that there is trouble, that I have Christ and He wants to be there with me and He wants to bring healing to my life. So um, let me just pray for you now. Dear Lord, I pray for every listener out there that maybe is just burdened with shame. They have those tangled thoughts. Um, I pray that, like Natalie said, they will step out and find someone to help untangle those thoughts and find healing. Lord, I pray for all those that no fault of their own. Life has just been really hard because of other people's actions. Um, I pray that they will just turn that pain to you and uh, give you all those emotions for you to to help with, to um, manage, Lord, because it's just a burden that's too heavy for us. I pray for Natalie. I pray that you will continue to use her, to share her story, to share her message. And Lord, I thank you that you use broken people like Bathsheba um, and that her story and other stories in your word can just remind us that um, all of us are beautiful in your sight and that you can use each one of us and that when we turn to you, we can become women of courage and wisdom, no matter what we've gone through. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the healing that you can accomplish in each one of us. Well, friend, I am so thankful um, that you are connecting with me here on Walk It Out. You know, I love connecting with friends that I've met through the years, like Natalie and sometimes new friends. I love that I can just highlight women and hear their hearts and hear their stories and hear what God is doing in their lives. I think so many times, um, you know, it, it can be for authors and speakers to just share kind of what we're doing and what God's speaking to us. But I love being able to highlight what God is doing to other people and how he is using them and molding them and transforming them. So thank you as I go on this journey to just highlight my sisters and brothers in Christ um, that you are tuning in. And I pray that you will share it with a friend. Um, encourage someone else with Natalie stories and the others. You can always find the podcast at walkitoutpodcast.com and all the links to everything that we talked about will be in the show notes on that page. I pray that you have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.